I've been feeling depressed since I was 13. Like that's, something's wrong. That's a lot. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just ready to die at this point. I'm bawling my eyes out. I just said out loud, Jesus save me. And something happened. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves, and sometimes in the stars, specifically when we look to the stars and compromise our free will and start doing a dance with the devil. That is what happened to Angela Ucci, who dabbled in astrology, hosted a very popular astrology podcast to the moon and back, and then got into all sorts of weird, new agey, occult things. Reiki, manifesting, crystals, tarot cards, all the rest of it, until she realized it was all really, really bad and gave it all up. Here with me is Angela Ucci, now the host of the Heaven and Healing. Heaven and Healing. Heaven and <laughs> Healing. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. We Happy to be here. We chatted a few mm-hmm. weeks ago on my member block mm-hmm. at the Daily Wire, and I said, this needs to go way, way longer. I want to know way more about what's happened because people write into me all the time. And I even have just friends ask me in my regular lives, uh, Michael, what do you know about the law of attraction? Michael, what do you know about the secret? What do you know about the crystals and Reiki and astrology and all this stuff that I say seems really, really kooky and weird, but I don't know anything about it? You do. And you say it's not all just fun and games. It gets pretty, pretty dark. Mm-hmm. So I was involved with occult practices for almost a full decade. Um, I had an extremely tragic death in my family in 2014. We touched on this briefly when we spoke. My grandmother died. I was on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean when it happened. And she was like my best friend in the world. I grew up with a single mom, did the best she could, love her to death, but she could only do so much. Um, So grandma really kind of stepped in and took over with after-school care, things like that. So we were very, very close growing up. She was my everything. Kind of in hindsight, she was my God. Um, And when she died, it was absolute tragedy for me. It was the worst thing that's ever happened. And once that occurred, um, I was desperate for any way to connect with her, to talk to her again, to experience her again. And... I didn't know any better. All I knew was my pain. And I know now that Satan kind of capitalizes on trauma. Everyone I talk to that's coming out of New Age doesn't have the same story as me, but often there is a pinpoint traumatic moment where they started to go down this rabbit hole. And so I went to see a medium. I consulted a psychic medium after she passed, and uh, the medium knew things that she just really had no business knowing. It was astounding at the time, and I was, I was hooked. I was just 100% all in from that point forward, and it just was a domino effect from there. I, so the medium had cards, angel cards, oracle cards as she called them, and I bought that same deck. I went on and bought that same deck by Doreen Virtue, who about five to seven years ago, actually came out and said, I'm not selling these cards anymore. God told me that these are demonic. 
I can't do this. I want to pull back all of my inventory. She had books out. She was like traveling the world. She lived in Hawaii making so much money from doing this stuff and just denounced all of it when Christ came to her. And so when I had heard that years ago, this is when I was really deep into all of it. I thought, well, she lost her mind, but it's kind of a full circle moment. I went out, bought those cards. Then you realized you had lost your mind. Right. I had lost my mind. I I was the kooky one. And so... After I got into cards, I wanted to learn how to develop my own psychic medium skills, so I would buy books about that. And this is all kind of alongside of self-help, getting into like the self-help kind of culture that just teaches you off the bat, you know, you are your own best asset, you, 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 you. It's all like essentially narcissistic therapy in all of these books. So I'm doing that alongside learning about psychic mediumship and learning about tarot cards and things like that. Um, That spiraled into yoga practice and Reiki because I had also, after my grandma passed, decided I was going to take control of my health because I was very overweight at the time. I was only 20, 21 years old, and I weighed over 260 pounds. I was not well, um, and I realized I was kind of setting myself up on the same path as my grandmother because ultimately it was her health that did her in. So I don't want to do that anymore. Um, so I'm learning about self-help. I'm losing weight, getting healthy, developing this nice relationship with food and exercise, and also getting into spirituality. So this is all these moving parts, but the yoga was originally, um, physical wellness, like a way to Mm -hmm. kind of supplement my weight loss process. But that very quickly became spiritual the more I read about it. And then I became a yoga teacher years later. And that, as I learned about the history of yoga, that just brought me right into Hinduism and all those concepts. Well, of course, because people think yoga is just stretching or something, right, you know, but it, really it's a religious liturgy. Not, not just the kind of liturgy of liberal white girls in the suburbs, which is what it has effectively become Indeed. in America, but it goes back much further, and it's a Hindu mm-hmm. spiritual practice. And the word yoga literally means yoke, and so in that context, it's to yoke spirit. So it's an invitation for the Hindu gods to kind of come into your body. And a lot of the poses are specifically um, reenactments or paying homage to scenes with ancient gods and things like that. And I have to pause you. For people who are going to say, well, that's crazy. That's insane. You think you're inviting all these spirits in. It's just yoga. I guess I would have to ask those people, hey, don't you think it's a little weird that in your physical stretches as you are presenting these things to be, that you uh, regularly chant and invoke Mm -hmm. ancient kind of Mm -hmm. Vedic or Hindu uh, uh, utterances. Isn't that a little weird that you go into poses that are explicitly and intentionally spiritual? Which of us is the crazy one here? Because I'm just reading into this longstanding tradition what it has already presented, always presented itself as doing. Right, and that's kind of... A misconception a lot of people have, even Christians that I talk to now say, well, what's so bad about yoga? Um, I challenge you, go into a yoga studio and try and say God's name. You can't. It doesn't fit. You can feel it. When I was a yoga teacher toward the end, I tried doing it and just, you can just feel from the class, it's like, you're, you're not saying you physically can't utter the word you, God. Right. You're but just it's saying just, no one in that class. It's, it doesn't, people don't want it. Right. I was even told, because I used to put huh. yoga videos on YouTube as well, and I would try and say, um, you know, let's let God's presence come into the room, kind of just 
when I was trying to straddle the fence of both at the time, this was about a year ago, so I would get comments, people saying, I don't like that word, could you, could you say universe? So it's the whole... I don't like that word, can you say Moloch, please? Right. Can you say Baal. <laughs> right. So the, the yogi concept of God is very much source, universe, we are all God mindset. And alongside with what you were saying, with the chanting and things like that, it's not just the chanting, it's the poses themselves. They're, they're very unnatural. It's very different than just stretching. Yeah. So If you want to stretch, you can do Pilates, mm-hmm. right? There's yeah. No, there's no right. ohms and ahs in Pilates. And so I always say that yoga is not a physical practice with spiritual benefits. It's a spiritual practice with physical benefits. Mm. So it's just... So you got into yoga. You're a yoga teacher. You mentioned Reiki. Right. I've heard this word before, again, from my kind of white girl liberal friends. Mm-hmm. And I, to confess my ignorance, I have no idea what it is. It's, it's energy healing. Hmm. So the idea is, and when I say these things now, I feel like I just sound absolutely insane for having believed it so much. Um, so it's essentially you are able to, allegedly able to tap into the universal energy, universal consciousness, and how that energy is supposed to be all love and healing. And so you are kind of the vessel for that energy to enter in. And you lay your hands over somebody, on usually like a massage table, and you facilitate that energy, energy through their body, and you move through their chakra system, which, again, that, that kind of ties into yoga. So the idea is that we have these seven energy channels in the body, in the throat, in the heart, and they all operate different things for us, like where our insecurities are and our self-expression, our creativity, sexual energy, things like that. And so, for instance, someone might say, but having kind of really bad cramps, um, can you kind of clear that energy for me? And so you could deduct from that based on where the pain is and the chakra associated that, oh, you are probably having some sort of creativity block. Yeah, I'll clear that out for you. And so that's the idea. And you could use crystals to help facilitate that because all the crystals, of course, have their designated healing qualities, supposedly. Um, I got to ask. Sure. (laughs) Does it work? Or or even... Does it, does it do anything? It does. It definitely puts you in an altered state of consciousness. And that's not just for the person receiving. It's also the facilitator as well sometimes. Um, I would have really intense, because I would facilitate it and also receive. When I would facilitate, I would get moments where my hands would get very hot if I was over someone's throat or something. And that was my cue that, they, that needed extra attention. Do you think there's a um, physical, natural explanation for that or no? My understanding is that it's supposed to just be the energy accessible to all of us. So we all, in a way, experience. If you're having a creativity block, in a way, I am too. So that's why I'm able to recognize it because we're all one hmm. kind of mindset. And to answer your question in regard to does it work, it is a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It works until it doesn't, and Mm. you need more, and you need more, and you need more. Um, It really, for me, would 
alleviate. It's like taking Tylenol. It would just alleviate the symptoms, but or, or not necessarily drug, right? fix it's like the taking problem. Heroin, right? right? And I always say these things are spiritual narcotics because that's exactly what they are. You get addicted to it. You get addicted to the highs. You know, you leave a Reiki session. Wow, I feel great. I feel so refreshed. I'm cleansed. And then two weeks later, you have a mental breakdown, and you're like, well, I guess this chakra is still kind of clogged, or I didn't cut these cords from my past life, sort of thing. There was always an excuse to justify why you needed more. You believed in past lives? Oh, yeah. I believed a lot of crazy things. I was, from the yoga and the Reiki, um, I was at this point where, again, I'm studying self-help, I'm getting healthy, I'm finally at a place where I don't hate myself when I look in the mirror because I had lost over 100 pounds. And this was about six years ago. So I'm still sad. You know, I mm. thought I had worked through the grievances of my grandmother the best that I could by getting healthy. I thought, I'm eating well. I'm working out. Why am I still so depressed? I'm reading all these self-help books, like so many self-help books. You should have seen my shelves. It was ridiculous. Um, why am I not getting better? I'm journaling every day. I'm doing yoga every day. I'm you know, I f- getting Reiki done. I find the people who get into New Age and Reiki and who are really into yoga, they always seem to read a ton of self-help books. Yeah, there's a correlation. What's that about? Uh, a savior complex, a self-savior complex. Um, As opposed to a savior-savior Right. Complex. Everything, everything like is counterfeit gospel. Everything, uh. all these practices in one way or another is a counterfeit gospel. Um, and that is where I'm going to get into probably the weirdest part of my story, where I'm up maybe 2 or 3 a.m. one night Googling, why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like I don't belong? Why do I feel like I'm almost like an alien on this planet? And so I find information, journals from people saying, well, actually, it turns out you are an alien. So, yeah, I literally believed I was an alien. They're called starseeds. Mm. Um, and the idea is that star seeds come from another dimension, another star system, another planet, another galaxy. Like, I was mentally ill, if you couldn't tell. So, But were you mentally ill in, <laughs> you know, I don't know, some part of your brain was firing the wrong way? Or, or were you just deluded? You I know, was deluded. You deluded. I mean, this was not, it was not as though, you know, you pop a pill and it fixes a chemical imbalance. Or you, you had just gone so far down this rabbit trail that it compounded it on itself. spiraled, right. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm reading all this stuff, and it made sense to me because it said, you know, you've always felt like an outsider because you are an outsider. You don't belong, and you came here to help Earth. So the starseed gospel, as I call it, is that you are kind of a light worker that has observed the state of our planet And because, uh, coming back to this idea that we're all one energy, the universe is all one, it's like, well, if this planet is out of whack, then that's going to ripple throughout the universe and create chaos throughout the universe. So we need to find harmony amongst ourselves. And so the lightworkers from different galaxies come in to Earth to ascend the collective. That's the narrative. Um, And we do that with our healing modalities, Reiki and astrology. We teach these things to So, so this, it's help. obviously very esoteric. Indeed. But I guess I, I'm only half having trouble because I've, I've gone kind of down weird rabbit holes too, which we can get to a little later. I've never thought I was an alien. 
But I've gone down pretty weird rabbit holes. But in that moment, so you're looking this up and, you know, this website says, oh, actually, you know, Angela, you're an alien. Yes. <laughs> what? How, how did you persuade yourself of that? Like, how would that have worked? It justified my sadness and it gave me a purpose because I felt like I was meaningless. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why I was here. I wanted to die, to be quite frank. I was very suicidal, flirted with suicide in high school, on and off, in college, self-harm. I did all the things and it never got better. You know, I was like 25 feeling the same way that I did when I was 15, despite all the work I was doing and despite how hard I was trying every single day to just pull myself up by the bootstraps and feel good. And just wasn't, just wasn't ever really hitting and what I was really looking for, which I know now was God. But um, yeah, when I was first learning about the starseed thing, it was like, wow, okay, this makes sense. So I chose this life. I chose to be here. I chose this suffering mm. because it's teaching me something. It's my karma that I'm working through because when I work out that bad stuff, it helps the universe with its bad stuff. It kind of doesn't make sense because it, it's not real. So, right. um, And it's all kind of self-refuting because it's like, well, we're the mess, but we're also the cleanup crew. Like, it just doesn't really yeah. match up. Like, you're the right. knot, but you also have to untangle the knot. It doesn't make sense. So you're, you're not in control at all, but you're totally in control of everything. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And um, with the whole starseed thing, that just got me obsessed with space. Um, wanting to find my star family. I would do meditations and, like, walk through things to try and, con- like, connect with those beings. <laughs> the um, star the star people. <laughs> did you did you connect? I had experiences where I felt like I saw things and um, felt things like in my room. They were always like blue. It, yeah, really, really strange. And did I they don't have a shape. Long, like you, like like the typical you know kind of alien that you see in a sci-fi movie, but like not scary, like light. Sure. But what do you think that was? Just a hallucination a, or a. To be perfectly honest, a demon. Yeah. That's my understanding of ghosts, any, anything of that kind of sort. You don't believe aliens. in ghosts? I don't. There's a ghost in the Bible. Is there? So when uh, Saul goes to the Witch of Endor, uh, he, Saul has outlawed necromancy, all the stuff that we're talking about right now. Right. And he goes to the Witch of Endor and he says, call me a, call, summon up a ghost. And she says, no, I can't do that. Saul, you know, outlawed it in the land. And he goes, don't worry about Saul. You know, he, him being Saul. And uh, so she does. And it's a, it's a really curious moment because she says, oh my gosh, you've deceived me because she calls up the ghost of Samuel. And it, it's a very interesting moment because it seems as though the witch of Endor is actually sort of surprised by what she's done. So it raises the question, was she mm. sort of just a fraud, like a dime store boardwalk psychic, you know, who is just selling nonsense to people? And then all of a sudden she conjures a ghost. But regardless, she does conjure Samuel and then mm. Saul talks to Samuel. Mm. So we, we have at least one example of a ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. A lot of times when people say they've seen a ghost, which has happened many, many times, yeah. I wonder if they... happened to me too when I was little. It did. So yeah. I, well, I wonder if they're hallucinating, if it's a demon, but I'm not totally sure there aren't ghosts too. Yeah, it's not a hill I'll die on, but... um, Because then you might become a ghost. (laughs) Fair. I just, with the alien thing specifically, I think that's the demonic kind of realm. 
yeah. that we shouldn't really have any business playing with. And I mean, the Bible says the verse that sticks out to me most coming out of New Age is that Satan himself disguises as an angel of light. And that was always what I thought was coming to me. That was my spirit guides. That was my star family. That was my grandmother. You know, it's actually interesting because I had something attached to me for the past, since she died in 2014, That because I would call on it. I would say, please come, please come, please come. Like, hug me. Like, I would let, like, I would feel hugs. I would feel, I would feel something near me. And um, after my conversion, if you will, I felt it, I was in the kitchen by myself and I felt it come up next to me and I said out loud, I said, God, whatever this is that's been posing as grandma for the past seven years, in Jesus' name, get it away from me and never let it come back. And it hasn't been back since. So. You said you saw something like a ghost when you were a kid. When was, I was, was a kid. that the thing that you. No, I saw when I was a kid what I thought was my great grandpa. So it was very, very young at the time. And then I kind of, that really spooked me. Yeah. So I, it, it I would. kind of like blocked that out. But I, I always grew up with this interest in the paranormal. So there's something there too. I always sought out scary movies for some reason. Now I kind of want no parts of them. Like why would I entertain it even? Yeah. But I always sought out scary movies and like was so big on haunted houses, like wanting those thrills. And, I, and when I reflect on that, I wonder what that was. Like why was I so interested in terrifying myself essentially right. um, or being interested in demons. But anyway, the starseed thing led me to space, which led me to astrology, which was really my, my niche. I fell in love with astrology because it kind of explained why I was the way I was, that alongside the starseed explanation. Because it was, you know, oh, I am such a sap because I was, when I was born, the planet Venus was in the constellation Cancer. That explains, okay, great. Like, I, I started to have answers for why I am the way I am. Why am I so sad? Why am I more prone to these patterns? Why do my relationships play out in this way? Things like that. Astrology was starting to give me the answers and just just going in and in, and like just deeper into myself, which was deeper into the occult essentially because I just couldn't get enough of what astrology had to offer me. Um, so correlating that with my starseed thing, I would tell people on Moon and Back podcast, I would tell the audience that we all chose to be here. It's the karmic journey, of course. We all chose to be here to help the collective ascend, to help Earth rise into 5D consciousness and out of this stagnant 3D. And so we thus chose our birth chart. We knew that these planets would influence our lives and we chose that because we wanted to learn specific lessons and we wanted to be able to teach specific things and help other people in certain areas and foster these sorts of relationships, whether it be with money or with people or with anything. So it it gave me, again, that savior complex. That's what I always say. It's just... So, so you chose it, right. but you don't remember choosing it. Mm-hmm. And apparently you chose a kind of crappy alignment of everything. Yeah. So it just made me feel better about my suffering, essentially. It was like, like I said, it, it was a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. I was miserable, but at least I... Oh, okay. It makes sense why I'm miserable. I'm supposed to be. I'm working through it. It's 
It's the process. And, you know, it's, it's like that interesting, again, doesn't make sense. It's self-refuting because it was always what's taught with these practices is that everything is a process all the time. Yeah. But also you're going to achieve enlightenment eventually. So which is it? Yeah, Next week. <laughs> it's going to be just the day after tomorrow. That's when you're going to achieve And it. it's just, when I look back, it's crazy how I've just never grasped any of this in a, in a logical, rational mindset. And it's ironic because now people think I'm crazy. Yeah. I was going around saying I'm an alien, and that was fine. <laughs> but now I love Jesus, and I've lost You're it. You're totally nuts. I'm a right. clown. Were you at the time into any of the new age guru types? I'm th- I don't know anything about these people, but I'm thinking of Deepak Chopra. Yeah, I was. You were? I was. Who were you into? In, I was into Deepak Chopra. I was into Luis Hay. Um, there's a teacher on YouTube, Yoga with Adrian, and no disrespect to her, but that she was my yoga guru. Um, Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. who wrote The Power of Now and actually A New Earth. Um, a lot, a lot. I had a lot of names on my shelves, <laughs> for sure. Uh, the Four Agreements is one of the books. Who's that by? I can't remember the name of the author. There's another interesting book called Conversations with God by Donald Walsh and, or Wells, something along those lines. Donald something. He uh, wrote this book that he claimed he was channeling God and God was talking through him. And essentially the entire book is like refuting the Bible. Yeah. And it's funny because it's like this, it's Bible thickness. And God just threw this man said, actually, this, yes. everything else was, a, was wrong. He said, this was wrong. This is how it is now. Yeah. Wow. And I liked it because it was all about honoring your truth, which is the biggest thing with New Ageism is honoring the self. And, you know, this has, I realized that New Ageism is everywhere. It's in politics. Like, yeah. Well, there was that, self-obsessed. That, that New Age lady, that explicitly New Age lady, Marianne Williamson ran for president in 2016. She was she was talking about astral forces and mm-hmm. all this kind of really mm-hmm. uh, specifically New Age lingo on presidential debate stages. Yeah, that's insane. I think Nancy Pelosi said something recently about Mother Earth and how powerful she is. Yeah, Nancy, who who pretends to be a practicing Catholic, mm-hmm. though she doesn't. Uh, accept church teaching on mm-hmm. non-negotiable yeah. <laughs> central issues, right. which it pretends to be at least. Right. And I was thinking in the context of even abortions, because people, it's all my body, my choice, it's my truth, it's mine. There is no right or wrong, because I am the author of what's right or wrong in my life and in my body. And that is everything that New Ageism is about. And transgenderism too, right? Yes. My true self has nothing yes. to do with objective reality. Yes. It's just whatever I say it is. And I've seen how kind of the culture's obsession, culture, by the way, the culture's obsession with, honestly, just kind of dismantling God's order. Like, why is that? Like, there's got to be a reason for that. And Hollywood's obsession with the devil and how Jesus Christ is the only name we blaspheme. People never scream out Buddha when they're upset. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, Buddha. Like, it's never that. Buddha, damn it. Yeah, no one exactly. Says that. No one says that. Right. And no one gets triggered when you say anything about Muhammad. But the name Jesus Christ, yeah. people flinch. It's almost like there's something to it. 
You know what I mean? There, so. there are there is a group of people that gets a little triggered when you uh, say negative things about well, Muhammad. But broadly, within, in a broad yeah, context, it's you know there's there's one above them all that is most yeah. mocked. Um, they saw Kendrick Lamar recently with the. I, I don't think I've ever cross. seen Kendrick Lamar. I saw something on Instagram where in one of his music videos, he's like walking on water. He's like on a cross. He has a crown of thorns. Wow. Yeah. Or uh, Little Nas X. He did this, right. the whole video where he's basically having sex with the devil. Mm-hmm. And everyone said people are being extreme for that. But look, it's not extreme because this stuff gets into minds and it's yeah. just a slow drip. Well, there, there was a, a guy. He's the deputy monkeypox coordinator at the White House now. And he's taken photos of himself wearing leather pentagrams on his chest and apparently seems to have a pentagram tattoo on one of his pecs. And you have to wonder, you say, okay, if I'm the crazy one because I'm noticing this, because I'm observing these really weird specific satanic symbols, that guy's got to be way crazier for putting it on his body, right? How How come I'm the crazy one for noticing he's not the crazy one for doing it? Right. Right. It also makes me feel better that even though I thought I was an alien, I was never uh, the deputy of monkeypox. So <laughs> you never want to. You don't want to be coordinating monkeypox. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's just everywhere. And I, I think it's really important to talk about for that reason. And a lot of people think I'm extreme. I lost, I lost a lot of friends when this mm. happened because ultimately the common denominator of our relationship was sin all practicing divination constantly together, whether it be a moon circle or Reiki or tarot cards. What's a moon circle? Um, So my obsession with astrology was really centered around my fascination with the moon. A lot of the time I just, I said in my old podcast, I was enamored with the moon Um, because the new moon was always supposed to represent like new beginnings and setting intentions. And then the full moon was always what I would say on my podcast the time when the moon is in its full illumination, so it's kind of shining a light on everything that's blocking us from our intentions that we set at the previous cycle. And so now with the full moon, we can release that. And so the moon always falls in, it might be a new moon in Aries, and so Aries is supposed to be like the sign of beginnings and initiation. So if it's a new moon in Aries, that's a really good time to start a new business venture. So it just always, it gave like a criteria for my life, sort of patterns to follow. Um, again, kind of instilling purpose in me because I felt like I didn't have any. So and just a scheme. Okay, I do this exactly. this month and I do this Exactly, this escapism. Um, so the moon circles, we would gather, me and a group of girlfriends, we would gather every new moon and every full moon and we would do just that, set intentions or release. And This sounds to me like witchcraft. Like a coven, is right? It a, is that what that Essentially. is? Essentially. We would never call it that because it's really interesting how... Even in the realm of New Ageism, you understand that there's negative energy and negative and demonic influence. Like, you know, why is it that every time we had to do, we did Reiki or every time we did a moon circle, every time I practiced with my crystals or my tarot, every time I did yoga, why is it you always have to pray for protection? Why is it you always have to call in an angel team? Why is it you always have to set up pillars of light around the room? Like, it's why do you have to prepare yourself for the worst with all these practices? Mm. It's kind of like the same thing with psychedelics because that's also mind altercation. Right. Kind of the same thing. And you kind of have to set your intentions with that too. It's all these things that you have to be really, really particular with. You have to follow all these steps or you could do it wrong. Like sage the room, 
because you know demons are are scared of of smudge, <laughs> definitely. Um, and for people now who are going to call you crazy for yeah. criticizing all this stuff, people call me crazy for saying, you know, actually people do practice witchcraft, and they say, Michael, you're crazy. What an insane thing to say. You did it. Mm-hmm. Like, you did it. You, it you saw it. You participated in it. It's, so, again, it's one of these where I go back to, why am I crazy for noticing it, but they're not crazy for doing it? They're actually doing it. Well, the Bible has the answer to that, because Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers, and because Satan is the prince of this world. Right. And so, you know, that's something else that kind of started to wake me up to the idea that there is theistic God, specifically the Christian God, because in 2020 when um, everything went down, I was also, I was a seething liberal at the time as well. So, I mean, it's all connected. It really is because you go to an abortion rally, I guarantee that girl who's naked giving the middle finger that says, F you, my body, my choice. I guarantee you go into her bedroom, there's a mandala on her wall. Like, just what is that by the way it's just like um you've seen them the tapestries with like the the circles with all the flowers yeah Yeah, and it's weird yeah but i I never knew what it was called they're just like sacred geometry kind of so it's funny though when you said it just from the sound of it i thought yeah okay i think i kind of get the idea of and i'm sure she does because People try to be conciliatory and nice and say, listen, you know, a person's religion has nothing to do with their politics, and you can be a, you can be a total demon-worshipping pagan, you know, conservative, and you can be a orthodox Christian uh, liberal. And, but in practice, I've just, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's what I mean, because in 2020, when everything went down, I was, obviously, I had nothing but time on my hands when I was in quarantine, and that, I hit, I hit rock bottom, um, another flirtation with suicide in that time. But something that I did with that time was I started, for the first time in my life, begin to research things. Mm. And, like, this is when the George Floyd thing happened, too. So that kind of sparked something in me where I was recognizing inconsistencies, following a lot of Candace Owens at the time. Mm. And um, it's actually when I learned about the Daily Wire around that time. And so I got curious about things and why the world is the way it is and what's going on in the government, what's going on in Hollywood. Um, oh, maybe Trump isn't crazy, mean, orange man after all, you know. And I got really hungry for the truth. And so I started to be more vocal about that online, like exposing things as I saw them come up and sharing really unpopular narratives but true narratives and that thirst for truth you know I've always been someone who asks questions I've always been someone who wants to know more it's it's what led me to self-help I wanted to get better it's what led me to new ageism I wanted answers I wanted healing and my when my politics began to shift my spirituality did kind of shift as well where I understood you know everyone's obsessed with Satan for some reason Like, what's that about? If Satan is their obsession, there's got to be a reason. Oh, because there's a counter to that. It's actually God. And so there's something there. And this is when I began to understand that there's a spiritual warfare. So understanding biblical concepts, but 
still with the backdrop of Hinduism, where I thought it was just duality. It's just the state of the universe is good and evil, and it's kind of like a battleground for who's going to win, you know? Is it going to be this 5D ascension that I talked about earlier, or is it going to be like we just get worse and worse and worse because the, the evil energy, and that's the word I would use, the evil energy was winning, whereas the good energy was losing. Um, because I didn't subscribe to what the Bible says, you know, at the time. So I at least began to understand things a little differently, understand that God was there. And that, again, truth search, I tell people a lot that if you are hungry for the truth, you're going to land on Jesus eventually. Yeah. Because he's truth. Right. You can, you can go down all these different paths, but you're going to find inconsistencies everywhere else. And yeah. that's all I did for 10 years. I, t- I took the long way, too. You know, I was an atheist for about 10 years. Atheist kind of weakened to a sort of agnostic by the end of that. Mm. And so I, I attest to that. A lot of parallels, actually. To, I mean, I never uh, was a part of any, you know, covens worshiping the moon or anything. But I got into some pretty weird stuff and, and went down weird intellectual paths. And I would say, yeah. basically, it's kind of 13 to 23. That was my real period of apostasy, atheism, agnosticism. Uh, it, I remember when my, you mentioned your grandmother dying. That was a big moment when you started to explore these things. I remember my mother died. I was 17 years old. And I was so, I, I so wanted to talk to her mm-hmm. that I Googled it. I said, how do you talk to dead yeah. people? And I, knew you, I know that you can't talk to dead people. Or that's what I thought then. Now I wonder if you can talk to dead people or at the very least, you can talk to demons masquerading as dead people, right. as has been attested to throughout all of human history. And, but I, I started Googling it, and it's, it's very tempting. When you're, when you're so vulnerable and you're mm-hmm. so desperate for something, it, you'll, you'll reach at anything. I mean, you'll yeah. go to any kind of crazy length at all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, on that particular path, I, I never didn't go nearly as far as you did down it. Uh, I probably just gave up after not being able to, you know, Re- hear spiritual, you know, voices and things like that. But you can really get into some really weird stuff. The fact that you mentioned this obsession with Satan is so interesting to me because I, 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 sometimes you'll, if I point out, hey, why is that government official wearing a pentagram? Oh, Michael, that's no big deal. It's just a symbol. Yeah. I think, well, right, but symbol, the whole point of a symbol is that it symbolizes something. Right. And so that, that's a symbol of the devil, mm-hmm. which seems to me to imply that, I, that there is such a thing as a devil, or at the very least, that this guy thinks that there's such a thing as the devil. And either right. way, it's pretty weird that he's wearing that symbol, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And people are just very quick to write it off. Just like now, you know, there's, it's, it's seeping into, into schools and into kids' curriculums and even into their playtime. There's like yoga Barbies and things like that. And um, my one friend works at Target, and she was showing me pictures. There's, it's like My Little Pony witch thing. Like, you know, cast your spells. It just seems, it seems so innocent. Yeah. But it's not, and that's the point. And again, it's that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. It's a deception. So, so you're and all the, the way state into of this. being deceived. <laughs> but we still haven't gotten to the part where you get out of it. Right. That's how'd you get out? Great of it? point. <laughs> um. So, it's actually really funny. It started to happen around this time last year, around October of 2021, late So, this is very recently. Very recent. It's been a really wild year. I actually saw you guys at Backstage Live last year at the Ryman, 
and I messaged you something about. You messaged me? Yeah, I messaged you something about there, about how great it was, and then I was like, oh, it's a shame that Mercury retrograde made all the equipment bust because your mics kept going out, and I was like, oh, it's because Mercury's in retrograde. Anyway, well, to regress a little, I was, like I mentioned, you know, at this point I'm 27. This time last year I was 27, and I'm just sad. I am so sad still. I'm doing everything still. It's just like pattern after pattern after pattern, just things not, I'm just never healing. Like I'm getting these little spurts of, it's getting better, but then crash and burn worse. And it's just a hamster wheel that I'm on at this point, not understanding what even the point is anymore. So I had this total breakdown moment in my kitchen, crawled up on the floor, like ready to just say like, this is like, what, what am I going to do from this point forward? Like, I don't, I don't feel like this in another 10 years. Cause I'm like rationalizing how, again, I'm 27 yeah. and I've been feeling depressed since I was 13. Like that's something's wrong. That's a lot. I don't want to do this anymore. Sure. I'm just ready to die at this point. I'm bawling my eyes out. And like, you can tell, I get emotional when I think about this, but I don't know why I knew to do this, how I knew to do this. I've never, no one's ever told me to do this. But I just said out loud, Jesus, save me. And something happened when, when I said that. Uh, things just started to change like overnight. And that, it sounds it sounds bizarre, but that's God. I, my heart started to change almost immediately. Um, and I want to mention this because I don't want to forget it because I want people to remember how important it is to pray for people. My best friend, since we were babies, she's been Christian, and I've known her since I don't even remember meeting her. We were so small. She's been Christian our whole lives, and she's been praying for me the whole time, like two decades of prayer that she finally saw come to fruition. So I, I like to share that with people because um, I'm told a lot that it's very encouraging because there's people that others know who they just never see coming out of whatever hell they've been trapped themselves in and finding God. So just wanted to touch on that, that in the background, I have someone praying for me the whole time. Right. Um, now, after I called out to Jesus, I can't explain it. I just wanted to know more about him because I felt different inside. It wasn't 100% yet, but it was it was something. It was something that was tangibly different than everything else. It didn't feel like a high like everything else did. Mm. It was the word I was using before I even knew that in the Bible it says God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. The word I was using was sound. I was saying to people around me, I can't explain it, but I feel sound. Just, it's not like static all the time inside. And so... So you had been with all of these other kind of flights of fancy. You'd have this intense high. You're describing it with Reiki. You'd have Mm -hmm. this real high feeling. But what you're saying with this conversion to Christianity, you felt... Normal. Normal. That's the difference. Right. (laughs) One makes you feel elevated and wild and kind of crazy. The other one, the craziest part of that is finally you feel normal. Just normal. Yeah, just Which was probably a rare feeling for those. It was. It was so rare. Um, And I wanted to read the Bible because, you know, oh, that's the one thing I haven't done. I've read every other book in the world. And I'm seeking out more books to read, but this one's finished, (laughs) and it has all the answers. 
but that's the one I would never touch because, oh, that's, um, that's the patriarchy. That's, that's man, you know, convoluting it. Like, you know, I believed all the myths without ever even researching them yeah. about the Bible. I just, whatever anyone said about it, I'm like, yep. That's BS. Don't want to go there. Paperback trash by Deepak Chopra. That's, That's the great. truth. That's right. the word. Exactly. But the uh, enduring font of all culture. <laughs> like we have more documentation of the New Testament than like Plato and Homer, but that's not true. <laughs> yeah, right, right. This thing that this guy wrote 10 years ago mm-hmm. while tripping on acid, yeah. this must be it. This must <laughs> yeah. be the answer to my life. <laughs> yeah, my millennial friend who went to Burning Man, I'm sure exactly. he's got way more exactly. insight than Isaiah, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. right? It's just insane the things I believe in. I feel so sorry for that version of myself, and I, I tease, and you know, we laugh. I do. My heart breaks for people that are deceived by this, and people yeah. that might watch this and think like, that girl's a lunatic. Like, probably have turned it off by now. But <laughs> you my say, heart no, correction. Breaks. I was a lunatic. Exactly, because <laughs> I was there, and I, I used to think my best friend, for instance, oh, she's too rigid. She's too this. She's too that. She's boring. Like, I would. She'd come to a party. Maybe she'd have a drink. I'd want her to drink more. I'd, you know, I'd always get us in these bad situations growing up. Like, I'm the one thrill-seeking. I'm the one wanting to do all the bad stuff. She's the one wanting to be normal. Moderate. And moderate and conservative and just... Anyway, I um, got my hands on a Bible. I got two in the same day, actually. It was kind of funny how that happened. I went to church with my best friend. She took me for the first time, and... It was very unlike the church I had remembered growing up because I went to church a couple times, Catholic, when I was very small. Um, I went to Catholic school for a little bit when I was younger. Nothing landed. I was bullied. A priest screamed at me. It's a long story. Yeah, many such cases. I, <laughs> I, I always like to say that, uh, uh, especially from the era that we grew up in, I think uh, it was a great blessing that I didn't go to Catholic school because I'd almost certainly be an atheist to this day, you know, rather than uh, I went to all these kind of liberal public schools. So, of course, now I'm a Catholic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the way it works. Mm -hmm. That's funny, yeah. I I went to this church with her, and I was was just enthralled with the way the pastor was speaking. He was saying things I'd never heard kind of a religious, if you will, figure say before. He was talking about the state of the world. He was talking about everything that we were just talking about, how— the, the corruption is the way it is because everyone's serving. You can only have one of two masters. It's either God or the other guy. Like, there's no other option. Because even if it's yourself, well, if you're a slave to your flesh and your desires, you're thus a slave to sin, and we all know who loves sin. Right. So it's just... Yeah, it's, it's something that I think even a lot of conservatives, and especially libertarian flavored of the conservatives kind of misunderstand. Because we talk about freedom these days. It's just you do whatever you want. But that isn't, the, it's certainly not the Christian understanding of freedom, right? The Christian understanding of freedom is that it is not the ability to do whatever you want, but the right to do what you ought. Be- yes. Because, as you cite, the man who sins is a slave to sin. And so if you use your freedom to shoot heroin or look at porn or do whatever, any kind of vice that there is, right. You're just you're going to lose uh, steadily your ability to resist that temptation, mm-hmm. and you become and, a slave. And it's just so interesting that paradox that you mentioned because, you know, I had thought again the misconceptions about the Bible. Oh, it's controlling. Like, why would I ever want to follow a God that tells me what to do? Why would why would a God that is love ever do that? Because my understanding of God was this pantheistic God of 
source and we're all God and we all have God within us. And so I didn't like it. It, It's really what it was. It was never the basis of, is this true? It's, I didn't like it because it didn't make me feel good. And that's what new ageism is. It's, I want to feel good now. (laughs) So, um, well, everything you're talking about, you're focusing on the subjectivity of it all, on just how you're feeling, and I think you're rightly observing that it's all just total self-obsession, and the reason everyone who's into all these things, they always have a ton of self-help books, because they're much less interested in the truth than they are in themselves. And it's narcissistic spirituality. Yes, but my question is, and it gets right back to Mercury being in retrograde, why our microphones didn't work. Is there an objective reality to these things, whether we're talking about the Reiki heat or whether we're talking about Mercury being in retrograde and screwing up my production equipment. Is there something to that, even outside of our own delusions and the narratives we tell ourselves? I think yes. I, I, don't, I don't think it would be in the Bible if, if it weren't. If God didn't know what the dangers would be, there wouldn't be a warning label on it. Because he, he's, he's not saying don't consult astronomers and necromancers because, you know, it's just a dumb, stupid waste of time, right? He, right. I, I think he's saying don't consult astrologers and necromancers because there's an actual danger here yes. of compromising your free will or mm-hmm. whatever, talking to demons. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's real. I mean, and that's the draw to it. And that's, I say this all the time is that there's just enough truth to get you hooked on the lies forever. Uh-huh. So, so where the is the distinction? Is. If if you are saying that there is something to, you know, the placement of the stars into how things are working on Earth, which which we know is true in as much as we know that the moon has certain physical fa- effects, you know, depending on its placement on tides or on the Earth, right? And we know that would that's a very literal physical example mm-hmm. of something in a very limited way. But then even from the Christian perspective, we believe in providence. We believe in history. We, we believe in a divine order to the universe. We believe in coincidence and in coincidence very often not being mere happenstance, but in being part of God's plan. Things happen for a reason in God's good time. That's a very Christian perspective, mm-hmm. but there's a ton of overlap between that and, you know, the way the stars are positioned. So, right. so what's the distinction between the truth of, of astrology and all the rest of it and the lies that go along with it? Well, ultimately, it's all kind of determined by man, by fallible man. I mean, all yeah. of the, the whole backdrop of astrology is really heavily based in Carl Jung's psychology. Astrology is astropsychology. Hmm. So, Thank you for calling out Carl Jung. I hate it when conservatives get really into Carl Jung. No, he but, was an occultist also. Could you give a little background for people? People know I the name. I don't have much, yeah. but I know he was an occultist. And he had, um, there is Helena Blavatsky. She was kind of like one of the mothers of New Ageism. Because New Ageism isn't new. It's just, that's just kind of like the rebranded term for Satanism. <laughs> but she herself was um, a Luciferian. And she said that Lucifer is kind of like the pinnacle of liberation. Yeah. So Alinsky said the same thing. So these are the people that are all connected with one another. And so astrology is taking Carl Jung's teachings Hmm. as a man who's connected with these kinds of people or these kinds of people are following his beliefs and vice versa. Hmm. So 
you have to you have to look at the source first of all and i always like to go back to that because people try and fight me on it well because i tried to do this too when i first started to come around to jesus i wanted to so badly keep my astrology and so i was like okay well exactly what you just said well god put the moon there god put the stars there god put the sun there this way God made me born this way because I, I was at that point able to let go of this narrative that I came here to do it. It was, oh, okay, God gave me my birth chart. So I was trying really hard to reframe Christianity. And so you can see it's still like self-obsessed narcissism because I think I have the answers still. Yeah. I'm going to rebrand Christianity as, as an astrologer and bring God into the forefront. Like my intentions were good, but I tell people all the time that saying is true, that road to hell is paved in good intentions. And I had that. Um, I mean, for the record, I think most people in New Age do. Hmm. I was a sad girl, just wanted to feel better and help other people feel better too. And that's 90% of the people I knew, that's the same thing. They're not bad people. They're just heavily deceived and thus children of wrath, unfortunately. So I wanted to be the Christian astrologer and start teaching through that lens But the thing is, you either believe what God says or you don't. And it got to a point where I was in Isaiah 47, where it talks about astrologers, you know, bring them forth. If if you think they can save you, go ahead (laughs) and watch them burn in their own fire because they can't save themselves. So how are they going to save you? And when I read that something, because the Bible's alive, it speaks to you, it convicts you like nothing else can. And when I read those words... It just, it, the Holy Spirit just came over me and it was like, I can't do this anymore. Right. Like I can, but it's not what God wants me to do. He's warning me against it. He doesn't want me to practice divination. That's exactly what it is. It says in Deuteronomy 18 that you're an abomination in the Lord's eyes if you're doing that. I don't want to be an abomination to God. That mm. made me feel, it just made me feel so ungrateful and disobedient. Um, it was kind of like, you know, a when you're like a teenager and you rebel against your parents and then one day you're in your 20s and you're like, oh, they were kind of right. It's like that same sort of feeling. It's, it's exactly like that. Right. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, they weren't letting me out past curfew not because they hated me or wanted to bully me but because they wanted to protect me. And so coming around to that idea of God, kind of like that roundabout way that was, we talked about earlier of how all these rules are there and I don't like the rules, but I recognize now that true love has boundaries. And that's what, that's why God tells us to stay away from certain things and to mm-hmm. embrace other things because his love for us has boundaries and he knows how we are, obviously, because he made us. So he kind of sets us up with the perfect manual for life, honestly. You think about marriage, which is the mm-hmm. fullest sacramental expression of love that you and I can find in this world, right? And marriage is nothing if not limits. Antonin yeah. Scalia made this point uh, j- jokingly about uh, the, the Obergefell decision that created same-sex marriage, and he mocked Anthony Kennedy's opinion, which established same-sex marriage, uh, because Kennedy had said that uh, it was this important uh, that same-sex marriage was this important liberty that would expand the right to intimacy that I don't know where the right to intimacy is, but he says he found that somewhere in the Constitution. And Scalia said, I don't know where the right to intimacy is, but even if we had one, I assure you, marriage constricts rather than expands the right to intimacy 
ask the nearest hippie. Meaning, when you get married, you say, okay, I'm not going to sleep with other people. I'm only going to sleep with this person for the rest of my life. And so it seems like a restriction, but really it is, an, is, it is a liberation. Indeed. It is a liberation from your base desires and a, a liberation from your kind of feeding of the appetite constantly. And it really does allow you to elevate and to pursue other things and to share your love and to, and to mm-hmm. will the good of the other person and to give entirely of yourself to your spouse. And so th- this struggle with liberation I find so interesting because, yeah. you know, the, the catechism says that the reason that you shouldn't consult astrologers and necromancers is because it is an attempt to, to gain power over right. time and history mm-hmm. and ultimately other people. That when right. you are going, you're trying to find out the future in the stars, you are trying to cheat. You know, you're mm-hmm. trying to get an unfair advantage mm-hmm. to give yourself more power. Yeah. And self-importance. Um, something you mentioned that I really wanted to talk about, actually, is how... Because you said the right to intimacy for gay marriage, right? Yeah. So. People that are unbelievers, and I, now now that I'm on the other side of it, I, I see it so clearly the way other people try and converse with me or the things that people say to kind of push back on what I'm now talking about is, well, we have rights to this, that, you know, believe what you want, believe what you want, you know, whatever, morals, morals and things like that. So what's interesting with unbelievers is that they kind of have to borrow from the Christian worldview in order to make their claims. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just because if you want to talk about rights, well, if there are things that we are kind of entitled entitled to, to, thank you. If we're entitled to certain things, if we're prescribed certain things, then there's someone prescribing that. Yeah. So <laughs> where do the rights come? Where from? do the rights come? They don't come from? from me. Like that's written on your heart from someone. And so it's that's a great just, point. Yeah, it, it's something that I see a lot is how. They have to borrow from the Christian worldview in order to make their, their claims true. Which but, but yet they then wish ultimately to liberate themselves, mm-hmm. not only from the moral law, but from the moral lawgiver. And mm-hmm. it reminds me, when, when you talk about this liberation babble that keeps going around, in the acknowledgments of uh, Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky, who is one of the most famous leftist organizers in American history, he dedicates his book to all sorts of rebels. And then he has a little acknowledgement at the end of this. And he says, and I, I can't forget to acknowledge that first rebel, Satan, who uh, lost himself heaven, but won for himself his own kingdom. And you, you see that language of liberation. I mean, you, you actually even see it in Paradise Lost, right? When Satan falls from heaven, he's in hell. And he says, well, forget about that. Forget about heaven. The mind is its own place and can make a hell of heaven and heaven a hell. That's something else with New Ageism, is that we've created our own hell. So it's kind of our job to get out of it. But then it goes back to lacking logic because if we're all God and God is love and the universe is love, then how do we also have these issues? that we have to work through to get back to love. Yeah, right. If, if everything, everything's totally perfect, there's no such thing as original sin, it's all good man, uh, but we know that the world is fallen and broken, mm-hmm. and we are part of the world and we are fallen and broken, so how are we supposed to fix it? Mm-hmm. 
Because mm-hmm. I, I get the original sin version of the world. I get that the, before the fall, right, the whole Christian story, before the fall, the world was perfect, and then man, because he has freedom, exercised that freedom in an in a incorrect, in a wrong and abusive way, and this led to sin and death pervading the world, and man's kicked out of the garden, and we inherit that, this broken nature, as a part of original sin. This is just an observation. Find me the man who, who does not have this, and I'll, I'll show you a liar. I'll be pointing right at you. Mm. So we, we just observe this fact of the world, and, and uh, therefore man is in need of a savior, and, and the, this creates a, a basically unsolvable problem unless God himself sends his only begotten son mm-hmm. uh, to die such that those who believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. I can get that. You might say, I don't believe any of that crap, Michael, but that, that story makes sense. Yes. I, I don't, get, to me, the, the really outlandish accounting of it all is that, no, actually, secretly, everything's perfect. You just got to get your chakras a little bit more at the right angle, man, and then it'll all be fine. Exactly. That, to me, seems far more laughable than the previous mm-hmm. story. Yeah, and I agree with you, especially with the new eyes to see that I have because... Going back to what you said, the man saying it's our, you know, our right to intimacy for gay marriage. Okay, so what you're acknowledging, therefore, is that there is a truth. You know, it's not only like the moral lawgiver, but you're, you're acknowledging that there's a truth that we are, have a right to live within. And so, in that context, someone might say, "Well, yes, but it's my truth." Mm-hmm. And so, this is a very, this is very popular dialogue amongst New Agers: is my truth, my truth, my truth, my truth. And again, that seeps into politics: my truth, my truth, my truth. So it's relativism, it's subjectivity, like you mentioned, and it's self-refuting because, well, there is no truth. Okay, is that true? My truth is just as true as your truth. Okay, well, what if my truth is that there, that can't be true? Right. You're, you're already excluding by saying that all truths are true. You're excluding people who don't believe that. So it just it, it's logically inconsistent, and it doesn't make sense. None of, none of it makes sense. I noticed, I remember in college, some of my liberal friends were quite culturally relativistic, and they say, there's no such thing as a bad culture, and you can't point to those Aztecs slaughtering 80,000 people. You can't say that was a bad culture. How dare you? That's so racist. All the cultures are just to be judged on their own terms. By the way, never Western culture. They never, they would seem to exclude Western culture. But okay, putting that aside, they say, we have to accept and embrace all of the cultures. And also, there's a rape culture going on on college campuses, and we need to stop the rape culture. And I said, hold on. Right. If you're telling me we have to accept all the cultures, and then there's this rape culture, are you, you're telling, no, okay, obviously we have to not accept certain cultures. So if that's the case, then don't we have to come to certain decisions about these things? Don't we ultimately need to say, okay, do this, don't do that, this good, that bad, God good, devil bad, go to church. Exactly. (laughs) Don't we have to say that? Exactly, at some point, but no one's doing that. Um, And this push to kind of eliminate objectivity is just, it's just the unraveling of scripture before our eyes, essentially. Um, I, you know, I really, for, for, for that whole 10 years, just really believed that, you know, I had an understanding of God, but I wanted it to be the God that was in my mind. I created an idol of God in my head. Mm. And a lot of New Agers will do that because they do understand that God good, devil bad sort of thing, but not in the context of what the Bible says about it. It's in the context of what they want it to be or whatever New Age book you're reading says it is. Um, and it really is all these... Essentially, it's all Hinduism because Hinduism is sort mm. of like the 
marriage of all religions in one, essentially excluding Christianity. And Christianity is really unique because it's the only, it's the only worldview that, you know, God reaches down to man. Everything else, it's man reaching up to try and get to God. It's all about doing the work, doing mm. the work, doing the work, doing the work. And, you know, salvation, or the Bible does say, like, work out your salvation. But that's not, it's not work for, it's work out. Like, exercise, practice it. Right. right? So it's a cooperation with God's grace. Sometimes yeah. how it's described is God's grace comes all the way down the mountain. And you have the, you have the right. Well, you don't have the right. But you have the ability to turn away from God's grace. Yes. Or to cooperate with God's grace. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, there is an action that, that, that is entailed by that. Faith without works is dead. But it's, it's not an action to earn your salvation. It's right. A, it's, a, it's an action to cooperate with God's grace. Right. And when is, you love someone, I say this a lot, like when you love someone, you want to commit to them and make them happy. And that's, I'm, you know, we're in relationship with God. You kind of want to do that for someone that you love more than anything. But back to the whole Hinduism thing, how... It's all, it's all relative. It's all you do you sort of mindset. It's all karma. It's all reincarnation. So, you know, if you mess up in this life, you got the next one to figure it out because yeah. your soul is just going to keep cycling through and through and through until you eventually reach nirvana, which is basically Hindu heaven, enlightenment, if you will. Um, and it's um, it's just insane when I talk about these things now. Like when I hear these words come out of my mouth, I can't believe that I subscribed to it for so long, and it makes me sad. But I'm very very grateful for how I came out of the other side. So from the time of late September to December of 2021, I was teetering on the edge of Christianity and New Ages and thinking I could do both until I began to read the Bible more and it began to really convict me. And there was this moment when I went to church, pastor did an altar call, you know, come down to be saved if you don't want to do it alone anymore. You know, there's a, there's, a fa- there's a father in heaven that loves you, sent his son to stretch out his arms on a wooden cross and die for you. And I'm just like weeping. Um, I go down, everyone claps, it was really nice. But my pastor came over, I told him a little bit about me. He had actually come out of the New Age movement, like back yeah. in the 70s. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. What what crazy. sort of denomination is there? Or is this a non-denominational? It's non-denominational, yeah. I'm not really, I'm not, I don't think the denomination thing is our hills to die on necessarily. I think if you just lo- do what the Bible says and love Jesus and work through what the Bible tells you to do. I don't know. I think, I think in a way denominations are another way that man has tried to control God or play God. But don't we, if, if the denominations disagree... Don't we need to, you know, if there's some Work out the disagreements. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there are denominations, truly. Uh, well, I don't think they're Christian, but they, they identify as Christian. And we yeah. live in a trans age, so everyone yeah. identifies as well. But there are denominations that deny the divinity of Christ. Right. There are denominations that deny the Nicene Creed. And so they might call themselves Christian, but we as Christians would say, no, you're manifestly not Christian. Yeah. And so doesn't that then, on matters of who Christ is, what he wants— how to interpret scripture, you know, 30,000 various denominations around the world. Isn't, isn't it our responsibility to figure it out? Or, or is it, wouldn't it at least be good for us to figure it out? I think it's our responsibility to just continue to s- preach what God says in, in that sense. Of but how do we know? Re- reciting, the, you know, just what the gospel says. 
Because what I've come to just really believe is just what, what the Bible says is true and that it's not going to contradict itself and God's not going to contradict himself and the Holy Spirit's not going to contradict itself. You know, people will say like, oh, God told me to do this. But if you cross-reference it with Scripture, did he really? Hmm. You know, like, oh, God told me I should still be doing astrology. Did he really? No. What does the Bible say about it? But what about, what about ambiguous verses? For instance, Christ says, call no man father. Christ says uh, in, in the same verse or verses, set of verses suggests that we shouldn't call people master or uh, teacher. But presumably you don't call your father by, by his first name right. or you know, your grandfather or whoever. Uh, you, when you meet someone on the street, you probably call him Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones. Mm. Mr. just means master. You go see the physician, you probably call him Dr. Mm. Smith, whatever. So are you contradicting what Christ well, tells you to do? I would say that's more so in the context of perhaps a sense of authority over you or over your sovereignty. Like in that context, like say, don't call someone else father, maybe if they're claiming to speak through me or same thing with master, like, you know, cult masters don't. Right. Or teachers. Right. But you call your teacher, teacher. Yeah. So uh, my, my only point on this is not the meaning of that verse, but my, my point is reasonable people could interpret that in completely different ways. So then as, as you are pursuing the truth, don't you feel an obligation or at least a, a sort of urgency to figure out, one, what it really means, what, you know, what God really means Definitely. There, and two, who has the authority even to interpret what that really means? Because if, if it's merely a matter of personal interpretation, then you're going to get, just in this country alone, 330 million right. interpretations. So, right. so I, I agree. I mean, I, I always hate sort of internecine squabbling between, you know, I don't know, the like liberal Methodists and the less liberal Methodists or whatever. I mean, I think a lot of that is very silly. But it comes from a serious place, which is we want to know God and know what God wants for yeah. us, right? And that makes sense because he created us to need him. Um, we all kind of have this God-shaped hole, and that's why we try and fill it with porn, drugs, sex, empty relationships, astrology. Um, and I think we are, once we really know God, we do want to know as much as we can because we understand it's the greatest gift we've ever been given and the greatest love we've ever had. But, I mean, the Bible does say that no man will know God's mind so of I think not. ultimately there are questions that we won't be able to answer until we're talking to Jesus. Maybe. Well, you're right. I mean, we, could never, <laughs> we could never comprehend God in as much as if God could fit in our little heads, uh, he wouldn't be God, right? Because mm-hmm. he, he would fit into our kind of finite, not, not particularly expansive minds. It reminds me of there's a legend about St. Augustine when he's writing on the Trinity. And uh, Augustine's walking on the beach. And he sees this little kid, and the kid has got a clamshell, and he's scooping up water and putting it into a hole. And St. Augustine says, hey, kid, what are you doing? And the kid says, oh, I'm going to put the ocean in, in the hole. And Augustine says, you stupid kid, you're not, you can't fit the ocean into that hole. Mm. And mm. Uh, the kid looks up at Augustine and says, right, and you cannot fit the Trinity into your mind, Augustine, and then is transformed into an angel and flies away. Now, this is a, a legend, you know, obviously, but makes a very good point. You're right. never going to comprehend God. 
However, I, I don't think then we necessarily have to fall into a quietism and sh- shrug our shoulders no and say, way. well, who can know whatever? You know, uh, when Christ says to Peter, here are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Hey, fellas, you have the power to forgive sins and whose sins you forgive are forgiven and whose sins you retain are retained. I mean, he's get, and, and go make apostles of all the nations. I mean, he is giving them a real charge in a real place in a yes. real world, founding an actual church. Yeah. And so... I, I just wonder, with that kind of authority, when you'll become Catholic, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I've looked into a lot of Catholic apologetics. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Mike Winger. I don't have him. Uh, he, was, he was Catholic turned Christian, and he, he uses, like, all the scripture as to why that's so, but then he'll have debates with people that will also use scripture to say, oh, well, this is true though. So I don't know. All I know is that I love Jesus and I love the Bible and I want to do what it says. And and you'll figure it out along the way. Yeah, this, this is what happened I'm to still me. a baby. I know, you know, I was thinking about this because my reversion happened, I guess about 23 was kind of the culminate. 23, 24 was sort of the culmination of it. And like uh, when Hemingway talks about going bankrupt and he says it happens gradually and then suddenly, that was like that for me. And it was a lot of reading and a lot of thinking. Yeah. And the, the reason I, I keep coming back to these sorts of questions on the nuances of this belief or that belief is mm-hmm. because providentially, astrologically perhaps, one of the first people to make me think about God again was, it was actually my roommate, ran, randomly assigned roommate in college, who was a hmm. cradle Catholic, fell away. Uh, his family became kind of a more mega church Protestant type family, but he was sort of agnostic. And he introduced me to a Calvinist philosopher who was at Notre Dame, a Catholic university, who was presenting a, a version of an argument for the existence of God that goes back to St. Anselm of Canterbury, who's obviously a Catholic saint, but whose argument was rejected by St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the most important doctors of the church, so incredibly complex. And that would be the ontological argument for God. And so I really went through this period where I was reading Calvinists, I was reading uh, Anglicans, I was read, I was all of these people, even Chesterton, who Catholics love, and he became Catholic, but Chesterton started, when he wrote Orthodoxy, he was Anglican. John Henry Newman, who's now a Catholic saint, he wrote all these arguments against the papacy and how he hated the Catholic Church, and so it was just, all, and I, that period of my life, it's like a whirlwind, because I just felt like the gates had been opened, and this kind of, after so much time in the wilderness, this rush of truth, some of which, you know, there there was some confusion in there, I was getting hit with some kind of contradictions from, there was, it was messy, you know, but but ultimately it was a kind of rush of truth that was coming on me, that I'm still working out. Right, and it's honestly really fun. Yeah. (laughs) It's a fun process. Um, After I went down to be saved, if you will. Um, although I feel like at that point I already was. It was just kind of... The symbol of it. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I, you know, he prayed with me for a couple minutes. And back with the moon rituals and things like that, I would always feel this ache in my chest, like this emptiness, this hole, this anxiety, this crushing. 
weight of, I don't even know, I can't even explain it. It just was like pressure. Like I was going to have a heart attack, but my heart wasn't beating fast. It really, really mm. intense pain whenever we would meditate. And I would try and kind of avoid meditation because of that reason. It would mm. happen when I would do yoga. It would happen when I would pray, which back then was praying to the pantheistic God. Um, well, what was that like? Like what did you Essentially say? praying to myself, you know? Huh so strange i um i would i it was never like you know asking for it was kind of i'm going to do this like i'm going to make this happen because i have god's power in me because i am a part of source and that is what god is so it wasn't wasn't just a prayer which is a request or an act or an act of worship and adoration it was a declaration it, yes. it wasn't, please, Lord, uh, let this happen. Yeah, it, it was, was I'm going to do it whether which, you want me or not. You know? Right. Wow. And that's that's what like kind of law of attraction thing is with manifestation. It's all I am, I am, I am, I am, which is, again, counterfeit gospel because we know who says I am who I am. And so it's, in a way, claiming authority over God or saying that you know better than God. That's what all the New Ageism is. I know better than God. Um, and it's just not true. If it were true, we would have figured it out by now, wow. let's be honest. Even, even just that declaration that it centers around I am, I am, I am, seems uh, coincidental. Right, a little too much. Yeah. And a lot of it's like that. You know, Reiki, laying hands in scripture. Hmm. It, right. There's all these counterfeits. Right, because who, who lays hands in scripture? It's Christ and his apostles. Right. And who lays hands in Reiki? <laughs> like you. Like, yeah. <laughs> me. Like, <laughs> like me worshiping my aliens, you know, (laughs) what authority do I have? Um, And that's the thing about Satan, though, is that he's he's not, he's not very creative. He's crafty, but he's not very creative, and he can't really make anything. He just kind of mimics things. That's what all the new ageism is. Hmm. It's just kind of mimicking godliness, and that's why we're drawn to it, because we are inherently made to need God. And so when something looks like God, and we don't really have the foundational understanding of what that is. Yeah. We get drawn to it and we kind of want more of it. And then we fall down rabbit holes when we don't have a Christian foundation or any sense of you know, biblical theology at all because I really I didn't. This this point on mimicry is so good. It's such a good point that Satan doesn't create anything. He just kind of apes other things mm-hmm. in a way that is distorted and perverted. But, but even, you know, human beings are mimetic creatures, right? We right. imitate other people. Mm-hmm. We take a, when we spend time with our friends, we take on the attributes of our friends. This mm-hmm. is why people popularly say that uh, you are the average of the, people you, the five people you spend the most time with. And we do that. I mean, I could, I could point to aspects that have now become part of my personality. And I, the, I don't know the way I speak or the way I dress or the way I walk. And I could say, oh, no, I, I think I first got this from this guy, you know, when yeah. I was seven. Or I got this when I, teenagers are always taking on new personalities. And mercifully, most are discarded at some point. But, you know, obviously part of it stays because you have a personality. Mm-hmm. And so then I, I wonder... For the, if we are in a position now where Christi- public Christianity is on the decline, traditional religion writ large is on the decline, and all this weird New Age stuff is on the increase, 
for people who don't have much of a foundation, they're very often just going to copy what yeah. they see, what their friends do. Yeah. I mean, I suspect this is behind the transgender explosion. Now, right. more than one in five Zoomers say that they're LGBTQ. Either Alex Jones is right and there's something in the water or, or you know, turning the frogs gay, or it's a social <laughs> contagion. It seem, maybe it's both, but I, I suspect it's more the latter. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I say it's dangerous and it needs to be talked about, that's why, because we are, we're complementary beings and we just do that. And so, you know, if you're in school and this girl's walk around, she looks cool because she has on a Zodiac t-shirt and, you know, she, maybe she brings out her tarot cards at lunch. You get drawn, you think that's cool. I want to do that too. So it's important, I think, to really teach teach about these things and expose these things. The Bible says expose darkness. Um, so like you said, yeah, you can't sit back and shrug your shoulders. You do have to, that you do have a responsibility to understand to the best of your knowledge what the Bible says and what that means, I believe. And especially with kids, you know. These kids are so malleable. Exactly. And it's just so funny how, you know, we can have gay pride festivals and drag queen shows and drag queens in kindergarten classes, and that's fine, that's not indoctrination, but taking your kid to church, teaching them the Bible, what the Bible says is true, that's indoctrination. Like, that's not okay. When you can, You're not allowed It's to not even that. just that you can have these pride parades and the drag stuff and everything in, in elementary schools. It's that you have to. <laughs> we now right. have to have all right. this stuff. And you, you are not allowed to teach the Bible. It's the one book you're not allowed to teach mm-hmm. in public schools. You can teach The Secret. You can teach yeah. some weird occult stuff. You can teach Mein Kampf, actually. You just can't teach the Bible. That That's, might offend somebody. It's kind of weird. That might offend somebody. But, yeah. Right. Yeah, and I've been told that a bunch now, too, is that, oh, I'm offensive now. I'm a bigot now. I'm mean now. I'm not tolerant anymore. And it's crazy, first of all, how many people preferred the me that wanted to die every day. Huh. Um, and it's also crazy how, again, it's you're yelling at me about tolerance while deploying incredible intolerance to what I now believe. Right. So thank you for not being consistent with what you're saying because it just, it just further makes me really see that I, I'm on the right path now. Based on all the inconsistencies from people in their, like, right. the pitfalls of their logic and their belief systems and how just Christianity really is just, it just makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. It answers all the questions. Well, this is the point of theology. People seem to think that theology is just pie in the sky, you know, scholastic, the schoolmen just arguing over nonsense. Theology is faith-seeking understanding. Mm. And I guess you could say a similar thing about the New Age stuff without the understanding, right? Theology is applying rigor and logic to our intuitions and to our faith. Mm -hmm. The New Age stuff completely discards logic and rigor and reason. And it just says, well, man, if you feel the heat, you know, then it's probably your chakras Mm -hmm. acting up. Mm -hmm. And it's all you do you. I'll do me. Why do people... YOLO. Which is a whole thing in and of itself, you know. Aleister Crowley is like the 
father of modern Satanism, essentially, who's also behind, and people don't want to hear this, the inspiration of all classic rock and roll. They loved him. He's like on Led Zeppelin covers, Beatles, all of it, Kiss, all of them. David Bowie loved him. Yeah. And this is a guy who just loathed Christianity, had like devout Christian parents. Have you ever heard of him? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, and he's, you know, so you know all about him. And and, and what was his rule? He said there's one commandment. Basically, do without will. Yeah, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want, and that's in, that's in music, that's <laughs> yeah. in culture. So that's what I was talking about earlier, how it's like all these... The main, all the mainstream things are all obsessed with following the doctrines of these people that hate God yeah. and love the liberation of Satan. Right. So there's that alone is just something to really be curious about if you're an unbeliever or if you doubt, you know, if you doubt Christianity, if you think it's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. That's something to really take a look at and ask why. Because right, you could at least observe, even if you're on the fence or you're right. skeptical of all of this, you could say, you know, at least it's kind of weird, right? It's kind of weird to wear the leather harness. I mean, even sometimes people will say, especially on the transgender issue, but you could say it about the crystals or the Reiki or the astrology. You say, oh, who cares? Oh, come on, who cares? And yeah. I always flip that question back and I say, well, you're asking why I care. I guess my question is, why do you care? Or why do... Why do the people pushing this stuff care so much? If, if the debate over transgender bathrooms comes down to, oh, why do you conservatives care? I say, well, why have you cared so much that you invest time and effort and resources and national political campaigns just to let boys go into the little girls' room? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you care a whole lot. And I care because, one, it's unjust, and it's based on a false anthropology and lies. But two, the other reason I care is because these people care so much. So obviously, there's something important at stake here, even if it's a little hard to pick up on at first. Mm -hmm. And from towards the beginning of our conversation, how I mentioned New Ageism is in culture and politics. That's a great example is transgenderism because, yes, they want all-inclusive bathrooms and Ultimately, this is all to validate the self. Whatever you're feeling is true. Right. Whatever you want is is what should be. It's all just constantly affirming self, 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 self. Nothing outside of self matters. Self matters. But at that, at the same token, well, everyone else needs to accept that. We need to honor that. We need to honor (laughs) each other's truths (laughs) as the one big cohesive truth. So it's not not about the selves individually. It's really just about yourself. Exactly. (laughs) It's it's about you get to do whatever the hell you want and everyone else has to indulge it. And you don't want to offend people. You want to be (laughs) inclusive. You want to be loving, which like I understand the mindset, especially because I used to have all those beliefs. Like I'm not someone who's just been I wasn't raised a conservative Christian. I, you know, I, I was liberal for a really long time. I had Feel the Burn t-shirts. You know, I was, I was practicing all the New Age stuff. Like, I can confidently say I understand those mindsets, and I know that a lot of it comes from a genuine place of care for other people, care for wanting to make the best of your life, 
And of course, that comes from making other people feel good, so validating them. And so in a way, that's even still narcissism because right. you just want to validate other people. You don't want to, you don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. Why would we ever do that? And that's, you know, since being Christian, that's, that's a huge contrast that I see versus back then. Because again, like, I'm crazy now, but I wasn't then. And my beliefs offend people. Right. Just Pre- because but- I'm telling them, essentially, I'm, I'm holding, the, holding them to the fire and essentially saying you're wrong. And people don't want to be told that they're wrong because then that makes them accountable to something. And that's going back to this whole backdrop of Hinduism. I think that's why people are so drawn to religions like that and to these new age practices as a whole is because there's no accountability for any of it. You can never be wrong. It's all you. Yeah. It's all on you. It's your karma. It's your life. Hmm. Just do the best you can whatever that means to you. So there's something that seems comforting there. And when you get back to that word comfort, you had been indulging all of these practices that were supposed to comfort you and and solve your uh, despair and angst that had been going on for years and years and years. But at the end of it, you still wanted to kill yourself. Mm -hmm. And now you're doing something that's less comfortable by the standards of our culture. And you're... At far greater peace. Yes. That's a little strange. It's, it's isn't it? And I, I just find it fast. I really do find it fascinating how people, how people react to me now. When I, you know, put things out there like this is what Jesus says. But again, I really just believe what the Bible says. The Bible says you'll be persecuted. You know, if they if they hate me, they're going to hate you. Yeah. I mean, you have to remember that Jesus himself made pretty radical claims. I mean, he. They, they killed him. Saying, <laughs> like, saying that he is God. Right. Yeah. They, they killed <laughs> him. Yeah. So they're, why would they like you for, yeah. you know, it just it, right. it kind of makes sense in that. In as much as we uh, endeavor to imitate Christ, mm-hmm. uh, we're probably a rather pale imitation most of Indeed. the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so you figure, well, that's what they did to him. I, the, the more we imitate Christ, probably the more suffering and persecution we'll endure in this world. Probably. Again, it's not that it's a certain thing, but uh, probably. And uh, that's the way it goes, because you referred earlier to the devil as the prince of this world, and the mm-hmm. Bible refers to the devil as the prince of this world. But on the point of a relationship, so you you lose your friends. Yeah. Did you lose all your friends? No. Actually, one of them came with me out of the new age, which was really cool. Mm. I was really glad not to lose her. And we go back and forth all the time in texts. Like, even um, this morning when I'm driving to the airport— She's like, the moon looks so pretty right now. It's just, I feel like I can see every crater. And she's like, it's really cool to just appreciate the moon as God's creation and not as some idol that's controlling my life. Huh. I was like, totally agree. It's <laughs> On that point, because you, you, you say that the thing you shared with all these people and why you lost a lot of these friends is just sin. You just mm-hmm. would sin together. And so you give that up. But sin is very tempting, mm-hmm. even after you give it up, yeah. I mean, especially after you give it up. It's very yeah. tempting. Do you find yourself tempted to, you know, pull out the tarot cards or anything? Never. Never. No. When, you know, I'd say the first couple months when I first knew of Jesus, after I called out to him for the first time, um, I was, because I was tempted to stay in that world, that's why I was trying to do both for so long. And then just came that point one day, reading Isaiah in December, I called my best friend, the devout Christian our whole lives, and I was like, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to give up my podcast. I'm going to... 
I don't know what's going to happen with that. I, I'm going to stop teaching yoga. I, I can't do any of this anymore. And it's not that I couldn't. Like, I physically couldn't. Like, my hands were tied. It's just that I didn't want to. Yeah, your heart's so, like, not in it anymore. My heart was changed. Right. My, my mind was renewed. And the hardest part was just doing it. Huh. But after I put out my final episode of Moon and Back where I said those same words, I don't want to do yoga anymore. I don't want to do astrology anymore. And I was saying, like, for the first time, I know this sounds crazy. This is, I've really met Jesus, and I know that you guys can tell that I've been talking about it with the astrology and trying to make it work, but it's like, you know, round hole, square peg. It just doesn't work because they don't belong together because this is a sin. And I always would tell, and I feel so bad for um, what I would tell people because I would, I was like, a self-proclaimed self-healer yeah. and was teaching others about self-healing even though I would cry myself to sleep at night. Wow. So. How, how many self, self-healers, self so-called, probably do that? Exactly. But it's okay because it's the process. Wow. Yeah. It's your healing. It's your shadow work. It's a very popular term. The idea of shadow work is literally to integrate your demons, like your inner demons. So this is like the dialogue is used. It's, you know, integrate your demons, fight through your demons, um, make friends with your demons so that you can understand. Yeah, this is like stuff I used to teach and believe and preach. Make friends with your demons because they're teaching you something. It's, but it's all in that guise of, again, Satan is liberating. So if you make friends with the demons, they're not some scary monster in the corner. You can kind of face it and work through it. So it's good intentions, but it's um, garbage, honestly. Yeah. If I had to give three pieces of advice, that's all I could ever give to anybody. (laughs) Certainly one of them would be don't make friends with demons. Even your own. (laughs) Especially your own. Especially your own, actually, yeah. Because, again, it's like a justification of... Um, all things that are wrong with you or all things wrong that you do kind of thing. Like, I had really bad patterns in in my relationship, you know, and we've worked through all of this. In your I, romantic like, relationship? My romantic relationship because I was lusty and just wanted to go, go do my thing because, you know, I was heavy before. I want to go do the sexual movement. Like, I'm, yeah, like, yeah. having these conversations so with this guy. So your wild oats. Yes. I like, saying, like, I never had a hoe phase. Maybe I should try it. Maybe that will make me feel better. So you're saying this to your to, boyfriend? Yeah, like, say, when he was my boyfriend at the time, when I'm saying this to him. Like, oh, this man. is because I'm, like, going through all the, all these crazy things. Like, I'm just sad, like, grasping at anything that I could. So you're saying, this is an amazing <laughs> moment. So you're saying you you're getting... Physically healthier, at least, and you're losing weight and you're exercising, and you're saying, Man, I used to be really fat and now I'm really hot. And so, listen, boyfriend, I want to go sleep around. Kind of. That That was like essentially my mindset. Oh, man. But this is like, this is like who I am. And again, because I'm not accountable to anything, I'm just living for what makes me feel good. Right. Right. So you're not, you're. If you're not accountable to God, you're certainly not accountable to your boyfriend. Yeah. Right. And when I found, this is like part of the testimony I don't talk about a lot, but he and I have really gotten into this recently, so I know I can share it more. But part of my testimony, a big part of it is God really saved me from wrecking that relationship. Hmm. 
Like, mm. I was I was so tempted by really bad situations repeatedly, re- like repeatedly. Never, never like, oh, maybe it's like a good guy that could that could be something. It's like, it's not like a red flag. It's like a red boat yeah. of a man. <laughs> just like the worst. Just the worst. Guys. And terrible guys. And like, I'd just be so tempted by it. And that was something... That was one of the very first ways that Jesus showed me that he was in my heart because he turned that off like immediately and like actually let me for the first time like really fully love this person and not wonder what it would be like to seek out pleasure outside of that. It was really incredible. Um, I remember in my uh, single days, in my atheistic days as well, I uh, similarly was sowing my wild oats and, uh, you know, have red blood, sure liked the pretty girls, you know, and I remember there was one time after, I don't know, the 7,000th girlfriend, let's say, uh, I, I woke up one morning and I thought, what's the point? Yeah. I thought, not only is this probably wrong, you know, to be just kind of casually seeing all these people and, you know engaging in all sorts of things I shouldn't do. But it's just such a waste of time. Yeah. Obviously, it's a perversion of my soul and someone else's soul, and it's not, mm-hmm. it's, but even before I got to that, I just thought, like, what a huge, none of this is going to lead to marriage. None of this is going to lead to anything. This is just a kind of brief titillation. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, wake up and do it again. Do it again, yep. And it's crazy because in all that time too, I always knew what I really wanted, and I would question why do I why do I sabotage this? Like yeah. why when I know what I really, really, really want is just to be in a you know monogamous, unconditionally loving, trusting, loyal, lovely relationship like my grandma and grandpa had. They were married eighteen until she passed. You know, like that kind of relationship. That's what I want. So why am I going after these things? And it's it just ties back to this to sin ultimately because I was a slave to what my flesh just wanted not what like well not what really my spirit wanted right I was I was a slave to it and so I continued to justify it you know oh back to the astrology oh, okay like my you know Mars is in I don't even remember anymore which feels really good to say my Mars is in and Mars is like the planet of sex oh. like who decides that by the yeah. way the men are from Mars um, I've been told right yeah. so my Mars is in whatever constellation. That's why I'm so lusty. Fine. You know, it's just... Hmm. So that's fine. It's fine because this is how I am. It's in the stars. And it, Exactly. And it's something just for me to work through. It's just my own karma, my own BS. So if you don't it. mind my asking, when you bring this to your uh, then boyfriend, what does he say? Uh, like, uh, he, no? Yeah, he literally. <laughs> like verbatim, uh, no. Because I, like, I tried to like open up the relationship. He was like, uh, um, I'm not no doing thanks. that. Yeah. No. <laughs> so. That's good. A lot better these days. Guys are such wimps that they'll, uh, I, I, I know men who have their girlfriends say, I want to go sleep around. I, I, like friends of mine have said like, well, that's okay. You've got to explore. You know, you've got to That's exactly what people are saying to me. But that, that's like that, that is cuckoldry. That it, mm-hmm. Like when people say you're a cocker, that's like mm-hmm. literally what that is. Mm-hmm. And it destroys, again, the paradigm that God intended. You know, like my whole 
my heart totally transformed around what sex means, around what relationships mean, around what marriage means. Mm. You know, before I was like, marriage is just a piece of paper. Yeah. Don't see it that way, even for a second now. Um, no, the piece of paper crazy. symbolizes something. Right. And it's just, it's crazy how much has changed in a year. Hmm. And, you know, that's something else that's very important to my whole story is because I, you know, people that have been watching me, like, they don't want to talk to me, but they watch me kind of thing. Don't follow me, but are in my story views. Yeah. Um, I know that those people can't deny that they've seen changes in me, like just total 180 from who I used to be and how I used to act and behave to who I am now. And not only that, but all the things that have transpired, like this opportunity, like this is insane that this is that I'm here. Um, I say it all the time. You know, this is, you, you're welcomed to the Michael Knowles show set. You've made it. You're at the top <laughs> of the heap. I say it all the time. But it's funny. I actually, I like almost kind of, funny prayed about this like a couple months ago i was like daily wire would be really cool i'm just saying did you really like seriously it's really insane similarly how i prayed and it's like these prayers that aren't really i'm like that's never going to happen you know Mm. if it's in your will i would really like if he could set us up in tennessee fiance gets offered a job that he didn't apply for in tennessee and frankly exactly where we want to live you know, it's just... I love, too, how you phrase that prayer, because it's how I phrase my prayers. If it's your will. Yes. And I don't just do it to be the most p- pious boy in Nashville. The other reason I do it <laughs> yeah. is because... You, have you ever wanted, thought you wanted something and really thought, I really, if mm-hmm. I get this one thing, then I'll be so happy. And then you don't get it, and then something else happens. And in retrospect, you realize, man, if I had gotten that thing that I thought I wanted, it would have ruined my life. Exactly. Because that's happened to me multiple times. Mm-hmm. So I, it's kind of in self-preservation. I say, if it be your will, yeah, I sure would like this thing. But if yeah. it's not your will, I don't want that thing because it's going to screw up my life. Yeah, that's how I pray too. And it's, it's, um, it's an extra step with me f- to do that intentionally because f- coming from New Ageism, it's all like self-sovereignty mm-hmm. and it's my will. It's, it's what I decide. So... I make it a point to, I'm handing it to you. Like, I, I don't want to make it happen. I want you to make it happen and work through me. And he's really been just, like, the blessings are just, it's insane, just flooding. Yeah. Ever since the, the, the episode release where I denounced Moon and Back that day, it was really funny because I had spent the whole year trying to build this thing, this, this podcast, and my, my audience, it was just struggling. Like, I was just like, struggling. I'm, like, paying for ads. Nothing's, like, really, like, it would, like, spark, but then it wouldn't, like, pop off. Yeah. And so I released the final episode. Oh, here comes the audience you were looking for. It was, it was like that. And that's just how it's been with God ever since. It's, like, mm. when I listen to him, and I'm not saying, like, God's a vending machine. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Like, just, you know, ask him for things and he'll do it for you. It's that when he is so pleased that you are in his will, he will really show you what his will is all about. Hmm. And it's been, it's just been incredible. You know, he, he brought so many good people to me right away to kind of like scoop me under their wing and like the guys in cultish I told you about just kind of give me solid theology and um, good discipleship and just good people because you really, you need to be surrounded by good people that love God. 
if you're going to stay um, vigorous on your walk because it's so easy to get swept up in all the crap. Of course. Yeah. So I was really blessed for that. God brought so many good people into my life and that he continues to. It's really incredible. Um, and that's what I mean. That's, I'm, I'm so honored and humbled, too, that this is what he's decided to be done for me. Um, and that he saw me in all of the junk that I was in. And that he heard me that day. Yeah. You know? And I think back to kind of how my, my, when my grandma passed and how that felt. I was mad at God at the time. And I remember writing about that specifically, you know, like saying, like, God wouldn't do this to a good person. But it's like, I see, like, all the moving parts of it now. I see if, if that never happened the way it happened, I never would have been led down this dark path. And it's like, it's like God kind of knew that the only way he would be able, that I'd be able to see his light if I, if, if I was so far in darkness that at that point I, ha- I literally had nowhere else to look except up, like, for the first time in my life. Yeah. This is the virtue of resignation, and I, I remember it too when I, you know, I was a teenager and had to deal with loss. I did come to the conclusion that you could either react with anger and a chip on your shoulder that would probably never go away and probably only continue to deepen and chipping, or uh, with resignation. And it's very difficult to react with resignation because we, uh, you know, always want to be vigorous and you know. I'm, I'm of the Italian people. We're very keen on, you know, vengeance and, uh, you know, yes. blood boils a little bit. And, and so resignation is a tricky one. But it, it's a virtue for a reason, you know. And, and uh, it, it also then raises this question, which I guess brings us entirely full circle to astrology in a way, in the good way, which is, for all my sins, I have 100% confidence in uh, providence. I am just so convinced of, of providence that I, I usually don't get too riled when something really bad happens or when something really good happens. And it's probably going to kill my career because if you want to be a professional conservative, you have to be angry all the time. And I'm not. I'm, not, I'm almost never angry. Uh, but it, that's why. That's why I have... I, <laughs> For, for every other flaw, I just, I'm, because I've just seen it, you know, I've, got, I've seen it so clearly sometimes, especially when you're really screwing up, God will just shake you and say like, hey, idiot, you know, I'm yep. here. Hey, hey, look, you know, uh, yep. my, my priest father, George Rutler in New York has a great book called Coincidentally. And in the little flap of it, he says, it's a wicked generation that seeks for signs and wonders, but it's a stupid generation that ignores signs and wonders. Wow. Yeah, that's good. Sometimes they're kind of undeniable, you know. And when you see that and you say, okay, there is a divine order to things. And so, all right, shake it off. Yeah. Keep on going. And that's why I said at the beginning that my grandmom dying was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And it's the worst thing that will ever happen to me because I have that knowing now Hmm. that no matter what (laughs) happens, like I'm, first of all, Romans believe it's 818. It says, you know, the sufferings of this world can't compare to the, eternal glory and I think of that all the time if something's wrong and ultimately God's in control and it's okay so it's been it's been uh, I mean for me to say that versus 
what I would have said a year ago, a year and six months ago, totally different, like totally different because I would have believed that all the suffering would be, and in a way I was right, in fact, eternal if we, if we didn't fix it. If we weren't the ones in authority, if we weren't the ones that were sovereign, if we weren't the ones that were in control, and now it's just, nope, it's God. You know, there's a baker down in my favorite neighborhood in the world, I guess, but it's in the Bronx. It's called Arthur Avenue. It's the real little Italy in the Bronx. Mm. And this baker, I've been going since I was a kid, and he wore this hat, I love Jesus. And he uh, had a kind of a rough early part of his life and conversion experience, goes to daily mass, and he's just a wonderful guy. And uh, as I was reverting, I was thinking of all these very, you know, abstract arguments for the existence of God and trying to pursue all this sort of more of an intellectual path. And uh, I was talking to him about this, and he, he was kind of, there was a, kind of a pivotal moment with him. He goes, hey, buddy, boy, you know, I do my best, God does the rest. You know, buddy, I do my best, God does the rest. I say, oh, that's wiser than pretty much any book I've read in the last six months. It's not that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chart the stars and talk to the car dealer and do the necromancy, and then I'm going to do it, and I, me, my, and I, me, my. It's not, you know, I'll do my best. Mm-hmm. God will do the rest. And honestly, it's exhausting to be in that lifestyle and in those beliefs. And I actually had someone say to me once, well, it seems like Christianity is the easy way out because of what we're saying. Like, oh, well, if God's in control, then I'm not, and it's all in his hands. Great. I don't have to worry about anything. Not like that at all, first of all. But His yoke is easy and his um, burden is light. Indeed. That's what they mean. Indeed. And that's probably not what they mean. That's not what they mean. They mean that, well, if you're saying God's in control, God is providence, then what about you? Like, where's your role in it? It's the easy way out where, you know, maybe the New Age beliefs are all about healing yourself and making yourself better. But really, that's the easy way out because it comes back to, again, accountability. Right. You're not accountable to God. So that's the easy way out because if you're not accountable to the creator of the universe, then you're just accountable to yourself, which is the creator of your chaos, <laughs> essentially. When you love someone, you want to make that person happy. Mm-hmm. And that carries an obligation. Mm-hmm. And the church is traditionally understood as the bride of Christ. Right. And is the bride of Christ. And, and so exactly. Have and an obligation. It's, not, it's not easy. Like God makes it simple, but it's not easy to walk the narrow road mm-hmm. every day. I forget who said it. Perhaps it was John Piper who said that no one like the Christian understands temptation because people just, whenever they feel tempted, they just give into it. Whereas when Christians feel tempted, you kind of got to put your blinders on and just keep going. And And you sometimes give into it. Right, because we're going to. That's why why Jesus, you know, died for sin because he knew sin would be the biggest problem. So, I, I mean, I fully agree with that, and I, and I see now how all that work, you know, is always, that's, that's the mantra, doing the work, you're doing the work, you're doing the work, and that's self-help too. It's like, you're doing the work, you're doing the work to heal, you're doing the work to heal. It's like, okay, but for what? Because it's all futile. Yeah. Because you can't save yourself. I would right. say you can't be your own problem, your own solution. And it's like self-help, self-love, 
self-hate. Like it's all one and the same because ultimately mm. what's the root? It's self. And so sometimes I get, well, is it wrong to want to better yourself? And like, absolutely not. Of course not. I think that in, in a way we all want to be better. Hopefully we all want to be a better person. And I believe that is kind of, you know, the knowing that we have sin, but I digress. Right. Um, That's the process of sanctification is, is becoming holier. But people outside of it think that, well, if, if the opposite of self-love, that's self-hate. But that's not true. You know, I think the opposite of self-love is, is self-sacrifice. Mm. And that's really kind of what walking with God is in a lot of ways. Right. There's that, that uh, idea. I forget which playwright wrote it. I forget if it was Shaw or Moliere or I don't know. It was one of those guys. said that uh, hell is uh, where you have nothing to do all day but amuse yourself, right? So it's, uh, and it is, everyone knows it. Everyone knows it who's ever had a vacation from school. By day three, you just want to pull your hair out. You're just so, you've got nothing left to do. You have no sense of purpose. And so when you are sacrificing for others, when you're serving others, uh, you will you, you will have far greater love than when you're just trying to amuse yourself. And that doesn't mean serving others based on if they wake up one day and they'd want to be a boy if they're a girl. That doesn't, that, that doesn't serve anybody. It means serving, serving people in truth yeah. and leading with truth, which brings us back to there is an objective reality and there is an objective standard and there is an objective truth. The, the definition of truth is not f- fluid or wouldn't be truth. Truth is, you know, unwavering. Rock solid. So there has to, there has to be a truth. By definition. You either moor yourself to that, that rock, or you're just floating into outer space next to all your star systems and your old alien buddies. Yep. That's not a great place to be. <laughs> sure ain't. Angela, such a pleasure to be with you. We'll have to have you back and do another two hours. Sounds good. Where can people find you in the meantime? So I'm on Instagram, my full name, Angela Marie Ucci. It's A-N-G-E-L-A-M-A-R-I-E-U-C-C-I. And then my podcast is Heaven and Healing Podcast, and that's the actual N symbol. And that right now is on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. And who knows, maybe I'll be on The Daily Wire someday. You know, you're on The Daily Wire right now. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, I'm on Instagram at Michael J. Knowles, and I'll have to check my DMs more frequently because I apparently missed some of them. But I'm glad that we could get you on the show so, it's so providentially in any case, even without that. Thanks for coming. It was great. Thank you for having me.